Welcome to Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation. In this program, Marty discusses waterfowl and upland bird hunting, as well as the clay target shooting sports, with some of the top industry leaders and shooting pros from around the world. If you're just starting out or you've been hunting and shooting for years, we'll have wing and clay target news and information that you can use. Now, here is your host, Marty Fisher. And welcome to another exciting episode of Wing and Clay Nation on the radio. And I can assure you this one today is going to be excited because I have got a tremendous guest on today's show. Uh, I'll introduce him here in just a little bit. Uh, uh, Captain Tom Cornicelli, uh, a legend in the waterfowling and fishing world up in uh, in the uh, New York City region. And I can tell you, you know, most folks don't think very much about hunting around New York City. Well, you're going to find out here pretty quick that uh, it can it can be excellent at times. Uh, we'll have uh, Captain Tom on here in just a little bit, but I I um, I, I do want to you know get into the into the start of the show. You know, it's uh, thank goodness it's it's starting to act like fall in some parts of the country. I mean, even uh, you know some of the uh, uh, mountain states have had a big snowstorm and it kind of moved over into the Dakotas. But down here in the deep south, I don't know what's going on. We are uh, rapidly approaching a record uh, in southeast Georgia, where I live, for the most days in the summer over 90 degrees. I think we're at 115 days right now where we have had 90 degrees or above during the day. And I'm going to tell you, being a guy that's an avid hunter, I'm tired of the hot. I'm ready for it to to, uh, to go away. Thank goodness the next few days it's supposed to cool off a little bit. Uh, we'll ask Captain Tom here in a little bit how how things are up there in New York, but it's uh, it's been an abnormally warm summer, so uh, can be tough on uh, tough on food plots for game and birds and, and fields. I know some of the farmers down here are really suffering a little bit. There, we haven't had rain in a long, long time, so uh, we'll <clears throat> we'll see and keep. Keep them in our prayers that uh, everything will be fine when they go to harvest. You know, uh, wing and clay news, what's going on in the world? Well, there's not a whole lot. You know, once the hunting seasons get going, you know, that kind of slows down a little bit. But one thing I did come across that I found very interesting, uh, Purina, you know, uh, makers of a, you know, uh, Purina Pro Plan, you know, which I've, I've fed dogs for many, many years. Purina stepped up to the table, and I love it when these corporations step up. They made a $1 million donation to Pheasants Forever uh, to support the wildlife habitat mission within the prairie pothole region of America. Now, that, that pothole region, that's going to be the Dakotas, uh, you know, parts of Nebraska, uh, some of Minnesota. But that is a really, really important part of the country in terms of, of wildlife habitat, for, you know, for ducks, for pheasants, for other upland birds, uh, for deer, you know, uh, you know the, the habitat has got to be solid uh, given the, the weather conditions that those folks have out there. And, um, you know, hats off to uh, Purina for uh, for stepping up with a million-dollar donation. That's wonderful. Uh, one thing that is going on as we speak, the World Skeet Shooting Championships are, are underway out at the National Gun Club in San Antonio, Texas. And, you know, skeet shooting – was uh, was invented you know um, in uh, New York I think it was back in the 1920s well the first ever world championship was held in Cleveland Ohio back in 1935 
And it's been going on ever since then. I know the uh, World Skeet was actually held at, at my gun club here in Savannah, the Forest City Gun Club, nine different times. It is now, you know, pretty much fixated at uh, at the National uh, National Gun Club, National Shooting Complex out in San Antonio. That's, a, you know, the headquarters for National Skeet Shooting and National Sporting Place. So it makes sense that it's there. Um Looks like they've got a you know uh, a little less than 800 shooters this year. Uh, they they had the mini world, which precedes the main event world. The mini world uh, uh, was held you know uh, a few days earlier this week. They they shot 100 targets in 12 gauge, 20 gauge, 28 gauge, 410. Um, and the high overall winner this year in the mini world was a gentleman by the name of Robert Lindley. And Robert broke 398 of those 400 targets. And uh, that's a pretty strong score. Um, there are other events that are going on. And there's a young man, a 20-year-old from Georgia, that's uh, you know kind of taking the world by storm uh, in these other events that have been held so far, uh, so far. The Wayne Mays Championship, which is kind of a champion of champions type event, if you will, where they shoot all, all the different gauges for 100 targets. Uh, Houston, I don't know if it's Houston or Houston, but it uh, spelled like Houston, so we, you know it's probably Houston. Houston Desertels, uh, the Desertels family is uh, very well known in skeet shooting. Uh, you know that family's been around a long time and have won a lot of championships over the years. Uh, but uh, but Houston shot a hundred straight and uh, and survived the uh, the shoot off. You know with all of those folks. Let me tell you how shoot off work. This is crazy. Uh, it, it used to be that they would shoot regular skeet till it was last man standing. Well, we got to the point where there were so many guys that were really good that they changed it up, and now they do uh, true doubles from stand, uh, pads three, four, and five on the skeet field. And if you haven't ever done that, go over there and do that a little bit. You know, get on three, four, and five and just shoot doubles just back to back to back to back, and you'll find out it's uh, it can it can be pretty challenging, and especially so once you get down into those smaller gauges. Uh, the main event, uh, you know, after the mini world got uh, got going with the doubles championship, that's 50 pair of targets, 100 total uh, targets. Uh, three shooters wound up uh, shooting 100 straight, and then they got into that shoot off. Well, uh, Houston won again. So, uh, you know, that, that was two events that he won, and then he followed that up. Um, you know, the, the crazy thing in the main event for Skeet is they go – backwards you know in sporting place they shoot all of the smaller gauge events leading up to the 12 gauge main event in skeet they start with the 12 gauge and work their way down because the 28 and 410 gauges are much much more difficult for for guys to shoot 100 straight and and that's really what the goal is here in in skeet shooting it's um you know it's not really how many did you hit it's how many did you miss and and um you know, because the targets are, are not far, they're not exceedingly fast. It's a, ma- a game of repetition and focus and concentration. And, and um, you know, we got it. Uh, they shoot 150 targets in the 12 gauge event. And um, Houston, uh, 15 people, uh, 15 shooters shot 150 straight. They got into that pad three, four, and five double shoot off. And uh, Houston walked away with the, uh, the 12 gauge champion. Uh, in the 20 gauge, and a lot of people shoot 20 gauges uh, for the 12 gauge event because of the recoil. And as strange as that may sound, but uh, you know, there's not that much difference in the in the 12 and the 20 in terms of the amount of the, the payload that you can shoot. A lot of shooters shoot a one ounce load, and and a, a 20 gauge is a seven eighths ounce load. 
Well, they had 29 shooters, looks like, shot 100 straight in the uh, main event for the 20-gauge. And the 2017 high overall champion, uh, Jason Ward, uh, wound up the winner in that particular event. So, uh, you know, it's ongoing. Uh, they'll be shooting the 28-gauge, then they'll shoot the 410, and that will determine the, the high overall champion. And, and uh, it used to be 600 and and 50 targets for the high overall. Now it's down to 550 because instead of shooting 250 targets in the 12 gauge like we used to do years ago, now they only shoot 150. Uh, but that's that's fine, and I can promise you that uh, uh, it's a it's a it's a week's work if you are there to play all of the games. Make no mistake about that. But we'll have the final results on the next show. But you know that uh, you know with who actually wound up winning. But I will say this. You know, many thanks got to go out to the, the companies that, that sponsor this event. You know, folks like Negrini, Cases that sponsor our show, uh, Kohler, Decot High Wide, uh, Shooting Glasses, Remington, Federal, Kriegolf, Blosser, White Flyer Targets, Winchester, Browning, Briley, Paxton Arms. You know, all of those companies are are heavily involved in uh in, in sponsoring these events and um, and they're putting their putting their money where their mouth is and uh, we appreciate that too. So that's about what's going on and I um I have uh, uh, Captain Tom has been patiently waiting and listening I I imagine to what I've been saying about all of these clay targets. But before I get to Tom, I do want to say this. You know, the first segment of the show and I always have to bring these folks up. First segment of the show is is brought to you by my good friends at the Crushable Vault. Now, you know, for literally all of my adult life, I've been traveling around hunting. I've I've got in the truck and and driven all over the place. And and I've got to tell you, every time I get out of that truck and walk in somewhere and and I've got my gun sitting in my truck, even though I lock it and hope that that, that nobody's going to get it, you always hope and pray that your guns are still going to be there when you come back. Well, Fortunately, I discovered the Crushable Vault. Now, this is a product that really put my mind at ease from, from the thought of ever having my gun stolen. Crushable Vault is a product that looks like a piece of luggage, but I can assure you it's a lot more than that. Their patented products feature a cable locking system that will totally secure your firearms by connecting to them to a secure point in the bed of your truck, your SUV, even in your car. You know, we can always find that secure point to, uh, to, to lock this cable system to it. And I can tell you that petty thief is not walking away with your firearms. You know, the product is uh, 100% American made. Uh, it comes in either ballistic nylon materials or wax cotton. And um, it's good looking. And boy, is it effective. So check them out for me. Get a, take a look. CrushableVault.com. See something you like? They've got a little promo code box up there. You type my name in it. Just type Marty. And uh, you'll get a 10% discount instantly on your purchase. Check them out, crushablevault.com. Okay, I have had my guest waiting long enough, and I want to bring him on board now. I uh, I would uh, tell you a little bit about uh, Captain Tom. I'm going to let him tell a lot more, but this is a gentleman that I met back in 2017 uh, through a good friend, uh, John Wiles uh, of Best Wing Shooting. Uh, John introduced me to Tom, and uh, and I had a chance to go up and hunt with him. And uh, you know, we hunted uh, we hunted Canada geese and did exceptionally well. And Tom kind of said, "Hey, do you want to do a? How about a duck hunt over 
hand-carved decoys. Well, that was very intriguing to me, and it just so happens that Tom, not only is he a, a legendary waterfowl guide, legendary fishing guide up there, he's also a four-time world decoy carving champion. So, uh, you know, yeah, that got my attention. So without further ado, Captain Tom, welcome to Winging Clay Nation. Oh, boy, Marty. How are you? It's good to hear from you. Uh, first, I got, <laughs> hey, I'm I got doing a, great, I got buddy. I, you know, uh, you heard me talk about how hot it is down here. I hope you're not having that because it's almost time for no, you to shoot geese. No, we're not. But first, let me tell you, uh, this has got to be a highlight. You having me on your uh, new show, the radio show, which is, I know, going to be, I know is a success, and I, I appreciate that immensely. Uh, no, the weather up here was... Uh, getting very nice. It's been dry, 60s, 70s. Today it was cool. It was in the 50s, and uh, it's jumping up and down, but nothing nothing like what you're having. No, well, you're hurting my feelings. You know, I, the, the one thing, and, 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 and I kind of mentioned this when we got started, you know, a lot of people have no idea that the hunting can be as good as it is. I mean, literally in the shadow of Manhattan. I mean, you're you're not that far from New York City. And of course, you know, our minds go to buildings and people it just, you know, with nowhere to turn without running into something. But out on Long Island, there's a, there's a hugely storied history there for waterfowl. Sure. Yep, absolutely. Uh, um, I would say that, uh, uh, unfortunately, it has dwindled, but but we're an hour and 20 minutes where I'm at, uh, where I'm gunning, and the Canada goose shooting is uh, very good. Um, the duck shooting varies. We're having really uh, odd temperatures. So in, in December, January, we're getting 40s and 50s, and that kind of hurts puddle duck shooting, but sea duck shooting for scoters, uh, um old squaws and we're starting to see a lot of eiders come from the east they usually stay out at montauk they're coming down further down the beach west and they're i mean it's really as far as sea duck shooting it's as good as it gets but yeah it, it can be very good uh for all puddle ducks canada geese uh we concentrate and sea ducks of course but uh, we concentrate mostly on Canada geese. We do puddle luck shoots, but um, uh, it's it's tough, and it is in the shadow of Manhattan, and uh, it's pretty impressive. You know, it's it's getting to be more so, uh, and it bothers me to say urban shooting. You know, hearing cars, mm-hmm. etc. But you know, that's what's happening here on the island. But um, it's good. Well, fortunately, and and let me say this, you know, fortunately, you know, there are some some fields, I mean, rye fields and stuff like that. I mean, everything has not been inhabited. I mean, there are some parcels of ground. Uh, You you being a a Long Island native, I mean, you know, obviously you've known the the people there. I mean, a a lot of them I'm sure you don't know now because when when all of these people start moving in, it's it's folks you've never seen, never heard of, and and sometimes they don't want to even talk to you, but... uh, uh, you know, you you at least do know, you know where the birds roost. You know where they go. You know where they want to feed. So that uh, that that's what a good guy does. He finds where the birds want to be. Yeah. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, uh, unfortunately, I should say that. Uh, yeah, I have a few fields that the geese will live in, but 
uh, we're just in a good flyway, and that's all I need. If I'm in a good flyway working, uh, you know, tra- uh, geese moving, trafficking geese, uh, we usually do very well. There's, mm-hmm. there's not an issue there. And we shoot, well, you know, we shoot pits, we shoot stand-up blinds, and, and um, there's, not, there's not an issue there. Unfortunately, again, yeah, land is dwindling. I'm, I'm, I'm up on the North Fork of Long Island, which is vineyard country. Back in the day, mm-hmm. the potato farmer on both forks, south and north, was king. Today, it's the sod farmer. And, of mm-hmm. course, the geese are very, very, there's very little corn on the North Fork, more on the South Fork. But the geese are very, very at home on sod, rye. It's very little wheat. It's mostly rye, cover crop, and sod. And they're very, yeah. very at home at it, on it. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it varies. A lot of variables going on. Right. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. We're up on our first break. And what I want to do, Tom, when we come back, let's, let's talk a little bit about about the challenges of, of, of getting those geese, you know, into those sod fields and stuff like that. You know, we'll, we'll talk we'll talk a little bit of shop about, uh, about how you go about your hunts right after these messages on Wing and Clay Nation. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation. If you have a question or comment about the show, we're here via email, wingandclayradio at gmail.com. That's wingandclayradio at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to this week's show. 
And welcome back. And I, I'll tell you, I'm having a great conversation with my guest this week, uh, Captain Tom Cornicelli from up on Long Island, New York. Tom, is that uh, is that uh, it's East? Is it Mauritius? Mauritius? How, how do you how do you say your, your little town name? <laughs> I live in East Mauritius. That's on the okay. Okay, that's that all. That I'm, right my by, I'm I, right by West Hampton. My tongue when I met you the, you know, the first time. <laughs> yep. It's, but, it's uh, right by West But anyway, hey, hey guys, before we, before we get back to talking about goose hunting, and we're going to we're gonna talk some nuts and bolts here real quick. Uh, if you're a, a, a Facebook guy or, or a social media guy, I want to invite you to come to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Radio. Uh, if you're a Twitter guy like President Trump and, you know, and, and so many more, uh, it's twitter.com slash Nation. And if you love to look at good pictures and, and read a little bit of stories, instagram.com slash Radio. Now, the show website is wingandclayradio.com. So that's how you can get in touch with us and and uh, and share your information and ask questions and uh, recommend guests and all sorts of things. And I hope that you'll do that. Uh, I want to get back to back to Captain Tom and uh, uh, you know let's talk a little shop, Tom. I mean you you know we, uh, Long Island is is like 112 miles long. Okay, it's not that wide, obviously, but that's a lot of ground. And of course, over time. You know, more and more and more people have moved into there, but the birds have places that they want to be. They have places, you know, where they're going to roost. They, you know, that's been a, a, a your ponds that you know about having lived there. You know what those birds want to do. So talk talk a little bit about about how you go about setting up a hunt. I, I you know I've done it with you, but I want you to explain it to my viewing my, my listening audience because uh, uh, it's very professionally done. Yeah. Um, uh, two of my farms are literally on top of the holding pond for the entire area. And to some people that may sound like, you know, a real plus, but in actually it becomes the hardest place to hunt. Those birds are coming out there. They can be seven, 8,000 in there. When they start coming out, if they start coming out at, uh, let's say, 8 o'clock, it doesn't stop till quarter to 12. And you really cannot do anything with them. You can't call to every flock. I mean, you'll get birds that'll come to you, but you still have lots of birds in the sky. And if you, you may have, here's a, a, a perfect situation. I'll have 20 come, I'm not even calling to them. I'll have 10 coming in, you know, locked up. They're going to toll beautiful right there, right there at 12, 15 yards. I can't shoot. I got 200 to the south. 400 mm-hmm. to the north. They're all over the sky. If I shoot them, I just wised up a lot of birds. So it's best to let those birds establish a flight pattern out of there because if you shoot into them early, they're going to start going out, say, east of me, and I'm done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it varies. It varies. There's a lot of variables going on with wind, uh, weather, etc. but those particular farms are difficult well the one the one thing that 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 i noticed when i hunted with you you know we 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 were very careful that you know because we saw a lot of birds and we were very very careful that you know you just don't start blasting because you know like you say i mean without question a goose is smart enough to know and this is where they go they go there 
you know, every day until perhaps the weather gets bad enough that it pushes them out. But if that if that holding pond doesn't freeze solid, I mean, those birds are going they're going to be there, and you know, so you're counting on them to, you know, to to try to trade around and and at least give you an opportunity to call to them. And you're right, you start you start blasting away at a bunch of birds. It doesn't take long for them to wise up and to figure out, you know, oh. what we don't need to come around this pond, this field anymore. Uh, it's it's changed, it's changed, and it's changed because of me, because I'm that close. They know I'm there. And mm-hmm. uh, from band recovery, we found that the majority of the birds that we kill that are banded or harvest are from Maine and New Hampshire, some mm-hmm. from Canada. So they migrate right to where I am, and they winter there. So if you have a bad hatch... You got adult birds that are, they're almost like super geese. They're smart. They know it. As soon as that gun goes off, they know what the deal is, and you better be able to adjust uh, uh, to what's going to put them in the kill zone uh, for your mm-hmm. clients. Well, you know, and you the thing is, adjust. I mean, no pun, in, no pun intended here, but uh, you better have your ducks in a row, so to speak. Now, now, one of the things, and let, let's talk a little bit up here about about your decoy spread because I, I you know, this was really uh, probably I've probably and I've hunted for decades and decades, and I don't think that I've ever hunted over as many live stuffed decoys as what you had in your trailer. So talk a little bit about your decoy philosophy yeah, sure. and, and what you Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Well, you got to understand, I'm, I'm uh, and everybody that knows me, I'm, I'm absolutely anal about, if you will, uh, decoys and decoy placement. Uh, stuffers, um, I don't, believe it or not, I don't use them all that much, uh, and they're pristine. I get them done down in Maryland. That's where I learned how to... Mm-hmm to hunt geese, and those guys, in my opinion, are the best of the best. They are in Illinois, the best of the best. Anyway, um, what, I'll, what I'll do is uh, actually to jump off the stuff. I mean, the stuffers work very well, but I've seen it where they won't even come into stuffers. They get, uh, they get so used to seeing everybody with stuffers Mm -hmm. They start to shy off them. Actually, my favorite decoy, and it always has been, is silhouettes. Um, What I'll do, silhouettes to me, I've been using them for years. I have real geese silhouettes that I had when they first came out. I've made thousands, and I use them. In particular, I like the color black and white. Mm -hmm. Black and white, um, they just project very well. Uh, I don't care what the ground is, if it's rye, if it's corn, if it's sorghum, uh, not sorghum, but um, uh, wheat, winter wheat, it projects great. And when you look at geese at a distance, that's what you see. You don't see brown, you see black. And if you have, in my opinion, when you have a black spot in that field, you have a kill zone. And that's worked very well. What I'll do, though, is I'll use silhouettes and then where I want them geese to land, I'll have my stuffers out front. Because when geese land with plastic birds, you can see them. I may have a situation uh, where I have geese circling me. And I'll pull two or three down. And they'll start to walk out with plastic birds. 
But what stuff is, they stay right there. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And I can keep them circling me until I light the whole group, whether it be 10, 15 birds, 12 birds, or whatever it is. But I, I've, I like silhouettes. They just, they just uh, are. I will take even my full body birds, all my avians I use, I will take them and I will airbrush the tops of them lightly so that they're dark in color because that's what you see. And I'm trying mm-hmm. to mimic what I see. Right. That's what I well, do. Yeah, and, and I that adjust. makes perfect I sense. Adjust. Now, now when you said decoys, um, you know, everybody says, okay, well, you want to leave a hole for the birds to land. I mean, and talk about that a little bit. I mean, you you know, when we when we were setting out decoys, I noticed that you were, like you said, you were almost anal. You're very, very peculiar about, you know, if, if there's a, any kind of decided wind, you want to make sure that the birds are working, you know, facing into the wind. I mean, all sorts of things like that. But sure. you set your well, shooting hole specifically <laughs> based on where you felt like those birds were, were going to come in because of the wind that we had on that given day? Well, uh, it depends if you're in a pit and or stand-up blind, mm-hmm. how you're going to rig out. Um, if I'm using silhouettes uh, and or full-body birds, um, I, it, it, it's, it depends on the wind. If that wind is blowing under, for argument's sake, if it's 12 miles, 15 miles an hour, you see birds, they're spread out all over the place. They're feeding, they're comfortable. You got lots of openings for them to come. When that wind starts to hawk a little bit and get up there past 15, going to 1820, you'll see those birds. They're absolutely straight into the wind. So I'm just going to mimic that. That's all I'm going to do. When it gets really hard, they are tight. They hit the ground. They may hit the ground and lay right down on top of their feet, and they are on top of each other. I'm going to mimic what they're doing just from experience watching them. I put a lot of time into scouting, watching, as do many people, and that's what I try and mimic. I use, I like to use a lot of birds. I like to use a lot of decoys. That's my go-to to, mm-hmm. to put, it, put, it, put them in the kill zone, uh, and then I may change up. They may, you know, most people, they're, they're putting out a rig and it's, whether they're a pit, stand-up line, whatever, and it's a circle. And, you know, it, those geese get wise to that. They know decoys. You got to change up on them. People say, well, they're, they're stale. They're, they're, you know, wish we had more birds, new birds. No, it's really, you should change up. Mm-hmm. You should change up. And maybe you'll get a better result. Whether whatever it is, going to more decoys, less decoys, different calling, you know, it, it is a lot going on there, you know. And doing it for a living, I really, you know, I'm really specific about things. And it's been very successful for going on forty one years, so um uh, I try and stay with it. <laughs> well, you know, and, and you, now you've got a you've got a buddy that that hunts with you, Brian. You know, he's uh, he's kind of your right hand guy, and and the one thing I, you know, I, I've I've hunted in Canada and out out west, and you know, they they wind up with these big goose flags and stuff like that. But you you use a little bit of a different product, you know, something that you can right. get you know more motion with your hands that I I found worked very very well. Talk about that a little bit. 
Um, well, on Long Island, and it originated here, and I spoke to a very, very well-known coal maker the other day and just a tremendous uh, hunter. Um, and we were talking about flagging, and, and I told him about paddling, and right away he said, I never heard of that. Well, paddling is, I don't know what the goose thinks, but I know this, I know what I'm simulating. A goose moves his wings the quickest when he suspends his body weight before it hits the ground. Mm-hmm. Or when they sit up a little bit on two legs and you see them flap their wings maybe two or three times. That's a goose aligning his flight feathers. The paddles, and I don't, the paddles simulate that fantastic. I don't care if you're in a pit, you can't obviously do it in a ground, in a stand up line. But in a pit or a lay-down bags, it is devastating. You know, and again, I don't know what the goose thinks it is, but I know what I'm doing. I'm mimicking what he usually does on the ground. And at a distance, if you see it, it is just so productive. You can paddle geese right to the ground. And then I've been calling. I'll have geese you know, I'm calling hard, calling hard. What's really holding them is the paddle. Soon as mm-hmm. I, soon as the paddle stop, I can see the geese start to slide away from me. So I know it's the paddle that they're interested in because they mm-hmm. heard me. They know what the deal is. You know what I'm saying? So that them paddles uh, are just, and it's, it's not paddling up and down. You know, it's a, it's a half moon that you can make out of a light piece of wood and you cut your, your hand where you would put your hands in. And you're actually twisting your wrists um, back and forth, almost twisting your wrists. You're not going up and down like you're waving goodbye. It's twisted the other other way very quickly and only two or three times. And you can handle them right to the ground. Hey, I've seen it work, and it's absolutely remarkable. And, And, you know, it's been proven now over the years that, Wildlife, and this is this is especially the case with ducks and geese, are attracted to motion. You know, I mean, if you've got decoys sitting out there that look like decoys, well, <laughs> that's what they are. So, you know, right. having a little bit of motion in that spread is going to keep them interested in looking, and I think that's where the success comes from. Yeah, uh, uh, I did a DU TV show. I was fortunate enough with Wade Bourne, who has... Uh-huh. Is not with us anymore. Uh, he's and a dear he friend too, and I, I really hated oh, to hear yeah. when he was gone. Oh my God, what a what a great guy, what a talent here in my home, and just like you. And uh, he did a little segment on DU there about paddling, and he was just blown away by it. I mean, he said, "I never seen geese respond like this." He said because he never seen it, never heard about it, and it's only here, and, and it's it's odd, you know, when you wave a flag. The flags they're selling, you know, it's motion. It make it's motion. It's motion. But to simulate what a goose actually does, and you have something that looks just like it, and so close to it, it's just uh, devastating mm-hmm. <laughs> and very helpful. Well, we've got we've got a couple of minutes here before we got to take a break. Um, 
real quick, uh, talk to me just a little bit. You're an, you're an aggressive caller. I mean, and we may pick this up after the break, too. But I know, you know, in listening to you call, and I'm a call guy, you know, in, in fact, you know, oh, yeah, I, I want to let everybody know. I think you've been invited to be a judge at the World Goose Calling Championship this year. Yep. Uh, that's a real another, you know, that's uh, what a privilege. Just like being on this show, doing that. Uh, I, yeah, I'm an aggressive caller. Uh, you know, I'm not a competition caller, obviously, but there are guys that are great callers, competition callers, and then there are guys in the field that are very good callers, maybe not as good as the competition caller, but they had a hunt, and that's the difference. And I've seen it just from people, and I've had three three-time world goose calling champions work for me, uh, at one time. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I like aggressive calling, and I call them until we we put them right there and pull the trigger. And you know, I don't, you know, that old that old thing. Well, once you got them coming and they're locked up, don't say nothing. Well, I like calling, and just like duck calling, them guys call them right to the water, and they keep mm-hmm. calling because Absolutely. they know it sounds right. You know. And yet, mm-hmm. it, it, I judged that show in uh, 1995. It was the festival's uh, 25th anniversary, and they asked me back again, which is, again, just a privilege, and I, I'm excited yeah, about it. it. It's quite an honor. Well, hey, we're up on a break, and... and um, uh, before we before we take that break, and we're going to do that right after this, I, you know, this last segment brought to you by my good friends at Negrini Cases. You know, I've, I've got to bring these folks up. This is a gun case that I use. Uh, hunting season's on me. I travel to hunt a lot, and I've got to have a gun case that's going to perform you know, everywhere. And, you know, this is these are ABS plastic, but it's, I promise you it is every bit as tough as aluminum. They've been tested and tested, TSA approved, international airline approved. Negrini's been building gun cases for more than 35 years. Yeah, they look great. They're made in Italy. Uh, you, can, you can get a case that's just absolutely beautiful for your fine shotgun. Uh, you know, rich Italian leather accents, things like that. I actually use a little... Um, ballistic nylon uh, cover case that I can get with uh, with with the cases, uh, you know, because the cases is so pretty. But believe me, it is as strong as nails. Now, check these guys out, NegriniCases.com. I want you to go there because if you haven't taken a look at Negrini cases, you really need to. If you've got some fine guns or even any guns that, that you uh, you want to make sure are protected, uh, if you go in there and you like what you see, spend two hundred bucks. And type Marty in the little promo box, and the Greenie will send you a waterproof shot shell case, and they'll pay for the shipping. So anyway, check them out, negrinicases.com. That being said, we'll be right back with Tom Cornicelli right after these messages. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. 
Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation. If you have a question or comment about the show, we're here via email. WingandClayRadio at gmail.com That's WingandClayRadio at gmail.com now, let's get back to this week's show. And welcome back. We are. Hey, by the way, uh, you know, I know you can't listen to every one of my shows live. You know, this is live radio, but it's difficult to listen to it. So we actually download these things to the Internet. Every show we've ever done is available on demand. Uh, you can go to the website, weanclayradio.com, or you can you can go to the uh, Voice America uh, Variety Channel website, and all of the shows will be listed there. Uh, we'll also be uh, syndicated to five podcast sites, iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you listen to any of those, just, just type in Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation and you'll have it. Um, I'll get back to Tom here in just a second. My last segment brought to you by my friends at ESP. That's Electronic Shooters Protection. That's the hearing protection that I wear and have worn for more than two decades. And I will tell you, it's the best of the best. And uh, it's really saved my hearing. Make no mistake about that. It's digital hearing that custom built for your ears. Anything over 90 decibels, it mutes it down to where you don't get any hearing damage. And I can tell you, uh, you know, if you go hunting with, uh, with Tom... Uh, you, you might want to protect those ears if you step down in those pits, especially. That's something, uh, you know, you got to be careful of. You want to take care of your hearing. Uh, so check out ESP. That's ESPAmerica.com. I think you'll like what you find there. All right, back to Captain Tom. Tom, you know, um, we talked a lot about goose hunting. You know, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about duck hunting. Like you say, it's, you know, you do it. It's, it can be really good. It can not be so good. Uh, you get a lot of different species. You get some blacks, some mallards. I mean, you get a little bit of everything. But but what what really uh, caught my eye when I did my TV show with you was your unique ability to take a big block of wood and cut away everything that doesn't look like a duck 
and turn it into a true work of art. So, you know, you've won four uh, champion, your four-time world carving champion. I mean, talk to me a little bit about about your decoy carving. I mean, uh, a lot of us are collectors, and uh, we would really like to hear about that. It started, uh, you know, like everybody else. You know, I I bought the carry lights the million years ago, and then herders and uh, have an artistic background. I said, you know, this this doesn't cut it. Uh, so I started fooling around, uh, trying to make heads. I was repainting them, make trying to make them look uh, better. And I started carving, and I was carving on and off. And then a dear friend of mine who was a, a world-class carver himself, Captain Fred Meath, um, I started carving with him a little, and um, more than a little. And uh, I just got more and more into it, and... I uh, just wanted a better rig of decoys and uh, just started calling and I just got better and better at it. And I just, you know, to me, if I'm not shooting ducks, uh, I love watching decoys on the water. Just like I look, lo- love uh, a, a, a rig of Canada geese in the field. I want it to look right. Same thing on the water. It just, uh, it just, it's something I just love. I just, as many people, it's, it's, there's nothing like it shooting over your own birds. And, mm-hmm. um, that's how I basically got started, you know, way back when, you know, started like everybody else. And then, and then moved up quickly. I moved up into cork and wood and then started carving and, uh, doing some research and met again, captain Fred and, uh, he pointed me in the right direction, and I went my way. He went his way, and and uh, that's how it all started. Mm-hmm. Well, now one thing one thing that I noticed, you know, and and there are different types of hand carved decoys. There are decorative decoys, you know, which are really pretty and kind of have a flat base, and you know they sit down on a mantelpiece or something like that. But what I know that you specialize in is a working decoy, where you can actually take that that decoy out and put it in a body of water and it really not only does it look like a duck it actually floats like a duck and you know, talk a little bit about that because the floatability has got a lot to do with with the real the realism sure um well <clears throat> uh most of my birds just so you know there are very few that hunt over them, the collectors but there are uh, a few that actually uh, hunt over these birds. They're hollow birds. Uh, the wood I use most of the time is Tupelo, and I strengthen it, and white cedar. They're hollowed out. Um, and, of course, before you even get to the sanding, there's just quite a bit of work to do. Uh, as far as sealing the inside, I start with two pieces of wood, actually. Well, it's a block of wood that I split in half. And then I screw it back together. Of course, I have a, uh, I may have a, uh, a reference photo and or something I uh, took a image of, a photo of, and then I draw that up, uh, side pattern, top pattern, same for the head, a side and top pattern, and then I start basically with a block of wood, and then I can unscrew that, those two pieces, hollow it out when it's almost done, put it back together, and then uh, complete the bird. 
Um, and that's pretty much what I do. I don't do any, uh, I do decorative slicks today. A lot of people, the people, the, the collectors are unfortunately not around like they used to be. Uh, decoratives are from certain individuals are into the thousands. And I don't mean 15,000 above that. So those gentlemen have went to what they call a decorative slick which is highly painted with a little bit of stoning. Um, and, and, and I do a fairly plain bird to a decorative slick. Most of the people want my, my uh, two bird rigs. That's what I've done very well in. It's world, it's world gunning two bird rig in world competition. And uh, um, I've done quite well. Uh, I was mm-hmm. very fortunate. Now, as, as but, you, you know, in hand, as you, as you look at the decoy, I mean, there, you know, some decoys have a lot more feather detail than others. Uh, right. You know, talk a little bit about that. I mean, because the, the feathering detail, <laughs> I mean, that is that that is a remarkably, uh, you know, intense little activity right there because you got to get it right. Uh, so talk a little yeah. bit about the about the feathering because that that really is what separates, you know, the well, decoy from I, being very, really something that really looks like a duck. Yeah, I'm very well known for my hen mallets and all hens, whether it's a shovel, a pintail, uh, teal, they're all, people think they're all pretty much the same and they're really not. It's feather shape of each feather, but I'm known for my hen mallets and uh, it's hard even to, to do a simple one. How do you do a simple one and make it really pop on the water? And uh, that, again, that, competition is they're floated behind the convention center in ocean city in world competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're floated on, on that bay. So, uh, you have, you can only go so far, you know, that's the criteria or the schedule or rules, uh, that you have to follow. You can only go so far and then that's it. And sometimes you, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I cheat. You know, I cheat. <laughs> I, I do things that I shouldn't do, but uh, it, it, this is at a world level. There's a champion level and there's an open level. This is at a champion level. So, you know, uh, these guys, it's not like years ago. We have tools. We have uh, the know-how. Not like they, they, they did not have years ago. These, you know, uh, there are many that can carve a bird that is pretty quickly and painted that's just outstanding you know mm-hmm. so it's uh you know when you paint the hen bird you know it, it's tough to do it simple and make it pop on the water right and yeah, i think i got it down brown. pretty well i mean there's not, a, not yeah. a, you know, a huge amount of color to it so, you know, about talk a little bit, you know, about weighting and things like that. You know, you say they, they float them, you know, down in Ocean City, Maryland. Yeah. And, and the reason that they float them is because, you know, the looks is not all there is to a working decoy. It actually has to float like a duck, you know. And if you've got a little That's bit right. of waves or a little bit of wind, the last thing you want to see is a duck bobbing around, you know, with his head almost hitting the water side to side. I mean, it has to actually and- ride the water like a real bird. Yeah, uh, I found, you know, me personally, I found that, um, you know, you would go with this deeper keel and heavy 
weight. And mm-hmm. I actually went the opposite. I went with a light bird. It's very, very light and there's not much weight. And what I do is I hollow the bottom out. That bottom, once I'll use the word burped, you lift that bird up and I've judged there many. I've been very fortunate to judge and I do every year at world competition. I make sure when I see hollow birds, I tell the guys in the water, have guys in waders that are adjusting the birds. You have to burp that bird, get the air out of it. Once it Mm -hmm. sucks to the water, it's just unbelievable. That lighter bird rides the water better than a, a bird with a lot of weight underneath. It really does it. And, and I, it took me a few years and, uh, and from a few friends, uh, Tom Christie, who is, you know, the best of the best. And I know many of them, Pat Godden, Pat, Tom Christie, uh, Tommy Matus, uh, Keith Mueller, but Tom Christie, if you feel his bird in the three bird rig, which is the Jimmy VZA Memorial Award, which I judged, I think four or five times more than any person asked, which is again, another privilege because he was a close friend and unfortunately not with us. Uh, mm-hmm. His birds are so light and ride the world water. Fantastic. So uh, I went with a really light bird, not a lot of weight, but they put them on their backs and they got to write themselves. The only birds that don't have to write themselves, they only write themselves from the side are uh, Canada geese and swans. They only put them on their side and if they write themselves, they're, they're, uh, they're good to go. But everything wow. else, it's on the back and it's got to come right up and ride that water. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and we had some nasty seas. I'm talking about white caps and these birds yeah. have to. That you do. That and, you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hey, Tom, so listen, we're, we are, you know, as out of time as we can be. I've got less than a minute. So real quick, tell, how, do, how do people get in touch with you if they, if they want to hunt or if they're interested in a decoy? What's the best way to do that? Oh, uh, you can call me direct. Uh, if you want, I'll give you a number. If not, go ahead. even easier, just, just go to my Facebook page, Thomas Cornicelli or Back Bay Outfitter. Private message me, and I'll get back to you immediately. It's that simple. Yeah, that'll do. Uh, Tom, listen, I can't thank you enough for being my guest. It's been a, a real pleasure, pleasure and uh, what this a great amount fun. of information. Thank you so fun. much, my friend. Okay. All right. Hey, folks, we are completely out of time. And, uh, again, I thank Tom. Uh, what a great guest. Folks, we'll see you next time. But until then, be safe, shoot well, and by all means, Take somebody new out hunting and shooting. We'll see you next time on Wing and Clay Nation. Thank you for listening to Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation. Please join Marty again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until next week's show, think safety first and good shooting. 